angel of the church in Smyrna writes, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who, who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. And today's message I have titled, When Bad Things Happen to You When You Have Been With God. When bad things happen to you when you have been with God. God's word teaches us that there are three sources for trouble in our life. The first one is, because you and I live in a fallen world, among a fallen race. So trouble happens. If we know how, to, how desperately wrenching the fall of man is, then we would not be surprised to see trouble. On the contrary, we should be surprised to see any goodness happening to humanity because the fall of man is so grave. With that pers perspective, anytime something good happens, we have to realize it is the grace of God that is bringing any goodness towards us. And the second source of trouble in our life is self-inflicted because we have sinned. Our own sins causes us to have trouble. We sow what we, and we reap what we sow in multi, multiples. We sow wind and we reap the whirlwind. We sow hatred and we reap the war. But I don't want to dwell on those two situations. There's a third kind or trouble that happens in the life of ch the children of God. And that is the one I want to talk about today. And this is the kind of trouble that happens when we as children of God are very vulnerable to also. You have been good and suddenly life goes bad. Some of us think that if they come to Christ and start following him, everything will be fine. Because he is going to carry us on a flowery bed into the home of comfort. But when realities of life hits us, we get confused. We don't understand why trouble happens. I've been a follower of Jesus, and how could this possibly happen to me? You start following Jesus, and all of a sudden, your friends bail out on you. You didn't expect that. You start living for uh, Jesus in your office. You try to live a testimony for the Lord in your office. You stop all of a sudden playing those games you used to play. And what happens? You miss a promotion that you were expecting. It can happen. You as a family had made commitments to get involved in the Lord's ministry 
in any and every possible way that you can. And all of a sudden, your little child is stricken with a serious illness. You made a major step for the Lord. And the next thing you know is a call from the doctor's office saying that your case is far advanced. We are very vulnerable at these moments. We think, Jesus, where are you? Do you see what's happening with me? I gave my life to you. And this is how you said thank you to me. We are tempted to bail out on God in these situations. Our hearts can become embittered and our worship muffled. If you ever had trouble as a follower of Jesus, believe me, you are in good company. Think of Joseph, Joseph in the Old Testament. What a good guy he was. His father asked him to look for his brothers in care of the sheep in a distant place. But the brothers hated him. They put him in a pit. They sold him to the slave traders. He was sold to Potiphar as a slave. Nice reward for being that extra nice kid and going that extra mile. In Potiphar's house, the master's wife thought to seduce him. Think about it now. She was probably a very attractive woman. Joseph was young, away from his family, and the God who served him all these years seemed to have betrayed him. And his hormones and the devil behind him shouted, go for it, Joe, go. But Joseph ran for his life. God applauded. Way to go, Joseph. But what happened? Joseph gets three years in the prison for that. Lord, hello, where are you? Or think of Jesus. The true embodiment of purity and holiness that walked ever on the face of this earth. He walked in righteousness. He lived with just one desire to please his heavenly father. But he ended up dying on an instrument of ancient torture in one of the worst kinds of capital punishments ever in the history of mankind. Then he says to us, take up your cross and follow me. Good advice. Many of us are sometimes whispering, that's exactly what I don't want to do. Because I know what will happen to me. If I carry this cross, it's going to cause me trouble. The pain, the difficulty, the cross. The issue is not whether you will get trouble or not. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or you are not a follower of Jesus, trouble will come. But the question is, when trouble comes to you, 
will you face it with the Lord? I would rather have trouble following Jesus than live in this world and have all kinds of trouble but be without Jesus. Let's come to our verse now. Verse 8. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. I know your tribulations. Jesus is telling us he knows our trouble. He knows what we are going through. He knows our pain. I know your pains. I am well aware of it. Not only does he know our trouble, but he has gone through every one of them himself. As the writer of Hebrew writes, that he might come to him, that we might come to him and find grace and mercy in our time of need. Jesus knows our trouble. Don't forget that he knows our trouble when we are going through troubles. He does not have just intellectual knowledge about our troubles, but he has an empathetic knowledge about our troubles. He has gone through it himself. He has experienced these troubles and pains himself. So he has gone through it. He knows what you are going through. So you don't have to shout at him, hey, are you there? Don't you know what I'm going through? But he knows. He knows. When you're going through rough situations in life, have you ever asked God, do you really know, God, what I am going through? I have asked quite a few times. I did. Are you still up there? The answer is, he knows and he is still there. Hallelujah. Yes, number one, he knows our trouble. And the same verse says, I know your trouble and your poverty. Christians in Smyrna suffered poverty. They suffered marginalization. That means the society refused to deal with them. If they were in business, the society refused to do business with them. They were not hired. Even when they were the most faithful employees, the employees didn't want them because they were Christians. Hallelujah. They were followers of Christ. So they were not given jobs. So they were in dire poverty. They were literally impoverished because they were Christians. In the name of Jesus, they suffered it. Now I have read in communist Russia, the previous USSR, the students were given an F grade in all their exams by their teachers only because they came from Christian families. And when some of these children came to America on a refugee status, when they realized they were given A and A plus in all their exams, they confessed to their teachers, this is the first time in history we passed a test. Because they were deliberately being failed. Jesus says, I know your poverty. Well, let's bring it home. Some of us are poor. We don't have, some of us don't have jobs. We don't have many valuable things. 
You look around and you don't have many of the things that others have. You lack. But, you know, there is a small clause written there in parenthesis. You know what it is? I know your poverty. Then it says, but you are rich. But you are rich. You know, God, for God's children, our wealth is not dependent on material things alone. Our, rich does, our richness does not depend on tangible things. But the devil wants to take away those things also. Our joy, our happiness, our peace, our rest. God has given these things to us and the devil wants to touch and snatch it away from us. Hallelujah. He wants to destroy us emotionally. He wants to destroy our, our health, our spirituality. Hallelujah. Jesus wanted to get the definition for rich very clear to this church. If you don't have anything in this world, but you have Jesus, you are wealthy. But if you have the whole world in your name, but you don't have Jesus, you are a pauper. You are so impoverished. If any of you think that being rich is about your portfolios, your cars, your houses, your clubs, your vacations, well, these are all good things. It's fine. To, nothing wrong in having any of them. They are just icing on the cake. But the real thing is whether you have a relationship with Jesus. Hallelujah. I want to ask you this morning. Is there anybody here today who is just enjoying just the icing of the, on the cake but without the real cake? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you committed your life to Jesus? And if you don't have that, if you don't have Jesus as your wealth, everything else is vanity and fleeting. Hallelujah. When you leave here, it is gone. Hallelujah. You know, we recently went as a church to some of the most impoverished parts of the world on a mission trip. They didn't have much. The people we saw were very poor. Most of them were not even wearing a sandal. They were poor, diseased, depraved, without a, lo lo without a lot of things that you and I take things for granted, take for granted. But the joy and peace that radiated from the faces of some of these people, those people, it was so amazing. So amazing. And some of our young people, when they were leave, when they left, when we left that place, they were saying, Uncle, we can't even start to complain about the things that we don't have. Because we have so much that we take for granted that we don't realize how much less only you really need. 
you know, you may be poor. If you have God, if you have Jesus in you, you are rich. I really don't have time to contrast another church in Revelation 3. They claim they have been very rich. But the Lord's testimony about them is, you are poor. You are wretched. You are naked. You have nothing valuable. Because they did not have Jesus in them. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus should be the sum of our portfolio. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He should be the one that makes us rich. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus knows our tribulations. Jesus knows our trouble. And he knows our poverty also. And Jesus, can you read again verse 8? Don't flip that page, okay? You are rich. I know something else also. I know the blasphemy of them that persecute you. I know your enemies. I love that verse. You know, Jesus knows your enemies. You don't need to fight with them. Think about it. Do you know who your enemy is? I'm not talking about the devil. If you think there's somebody out there who is trying to hurt you, just know that Jesus knows that. And Jesus knows him. Pass by him or her the next day and tell him, he's my friend, Jesus. Jesus knows about you. That is a very comforting thing. That is why the, it says, you don't need to take revenge, okay? It is not for you to revenge when bad things are done towards you. Give it under the Lord. Let him deal with it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, the early church at Smyrna was not persecuted by Romans. The early church in Smyrna, that's why it is written. It is not. Can you read it, sister, again? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They say they are Jews. They say they are Jews. You know, until the third century, Romans didn't start persecuting the church in Smyrna. It was the Jewish people who incited the Romans to start a persecution against the Christians. It was the Jewish people who stimulated, who invigorated the Roman soldiers to start a persecution, persecution against the Christians. Hallelujah. Smyrna was, in fact, persecuted by the Jewish community. Do you know something that is very troubling in the history of Christendom? Do you think the Christianity is 
destroyed mostly by the pagan community or by the community that is atheistic. No. Christianity is destroyed mostly from within. Our own. From our own. Hallelujah. It is not the non-religious folks that destroy us. It is people in our own community that destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body of Christ is hurt by people who call themselves to be part of it. Hallelujah. But they don't have a relationship with the Lord. Hallelujah. They don't have a relationship with the Lord. They call themselves people of God. But they don't really identify with the people of God. Hallelujah. I know your enemies. I know your enemies. Hallelujah. They will blaspheme you. They will pull you down. They will tarnish your name. They will scandalize you. When Jesus is no more the master of their lives, Satan assumes that title as the master of their lives. And Satan will use them as the weapons against the church of the living Christ. Hallelujah. And the church of Jesus Christ is even persecuted today also. By people like this. Who for the sake of selfish ambitions. Personal power. And positions and wealth. Don't hesitate. To tarnish. The Christian church. Whether it is at the local church level. Or at the universal church level. These kinds of oppositions are most damaging. To Christianity. They did not have, they do not have the genuine love for the Lord. Their motive is only to help themselves somehow. And fourthly, Jesus says, keep reading. I know about, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Verse 10, fear not. Do not fear about what you are about to suffer. You are going to be suffering. The Lord is writing to the church in Smyrna. You are going to suffer, but don't be afraid. We, you know, we face many kinds of questions, questions as the children of God. As a follower of Jesus Christ, when things happen in our life, we ask, why? Why? If I am a child of God, why is this happening to me? If I am going through this, how am I going to do that? I was planning my life like this. Why is it happening to me? But in Hebrews 13, Jesus says, I will never leave. Or forsake you. 
Do not fear what others do to you. Do not fear. Because there is somebody mentioned there, the devil. The devil, he is the culprit. Can you read that, sister? Uh-huh. Behold, behold, the devil, hallelujah. The devil, throughout the pages of Christian history, throughout the pages of the scriptures, we see a lot of times the devil giving, getting the permission to deal with the children of God. The devil given permission to attack the children of God. And Apostle Paul declared, I have a thorn in my flesh. And what is it? It is a messenger of Satan. The man of God, the anointed servant of God realized it is a, a, a messenger of Satan. Even though it was a thorn in his flesh. Satan has just one desire. One purpose. One target. To deface and discredit the glory of God on this planet. And that he will accomplish by defacing and discrediting the children of God. Satan has only one purpose in this world. To deface and discredit the glory of God. And that he is going to do by defacing and discrediting the children of God. Hallelujah. And he doesn't have any other targets. Think about Job. Job chapter 1. God is sitting in heaven. You know the story. Satan comes before him. Evidently, Satan has some access there. In Revelation, we read, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So there are times when he accuses you to God. That is why we ought to be happy when Jesus claims, Jesus said, he is our advocate. You know, every time this guy comes with an accuser, accuse about, accusation about you and me, somebody else will stand up there. I represent that person. He is a child of God. I represent Jolly Matthew. He is my client. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is our advocate before the throne of grace. Hallelujah. He sticks up for you and me when Satan accuses. So Satan comes before God and God says, where have you been? Traveling to and fro on the face of the earth. Now listen. God is asking Satan, Hey, did you see my servant Job? Some translation says my friend Job. I love this part. God is asking. God is actually talking about Job. As if he's saying a testimony about Job. He's my friend. He's my servant. 
have you i don't have i love this if only god could tell all the time jolly matthew he's my servant he's my child hallelujah hallelujah he's my friend hallelujah satan said yes i did i wanted to listen to me here the book of job is not a story to portray the picture of a good man that lived on the face of earth he was afflicted and he cured he got cured he got it all because he persevered yes there is some part to that story but there is something else in it satan said i did you know immediately what he did he starts to slander the worthiness of god and the character and the goodness of god right in front right in the presence of the whole angelly host when the whole host of angels were watching satan said you think he is worshiping you for nothing he is worshiping you because he has a reason not because you are god don't you ever think you are worthy to be worshiped you have fed him so fat you have put a hedge around his everything his bank is overflowing he has the best of everything that is why he is worshiping you you don't deserve worship hallelujah take away what he has and he will stop worshiping you hallelujah our god demands worship not just because he is giving you chapati and chicken he deserves to be worshiped because he is the one and only god he is god there's none like him he is the creator he is the all powerful he is the el shaddai he is the elohim don't say just thank you for what you have received it is fine you must be thankful but don't just limit your worship to thanksgiving know you are god know you are god and worship him graduate from thanksgiving to adoration move from thanksgiving the realm of thanksgiving into a phase of adoration see the beauty of his glory and start worshiping him because he is god and the devil said you don't deserve anything because you are feeding him enough hallelujah hallelujah so god allowed satan go ahead take the hedge out take the hedge out because god knew who job was he didn't have to job god was now trying to prove it to himself because god knew he had a relationship with this man job so he said go ahead take it out and a few days later his wife came and said deny curse this god and die that's exactly what the devil wanted that's exactly what the devil wanted curse and die when you are deprived of everything that you had when you are deprived of your job 
your health, your child's health, your educational background means nothing to you now. Your, your bank balance, everything is gone. And the devil wants you to say, enough of you, God. I am moving on without you. That's what the devil wants. That's what the voice of Job's wife was not her own. It was the devil speaking, using her lips and tongue to speak against God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you are in, worried about, I'm almost done. If we are worried about Satan's intrusion into our life, we must know that our God stands as the sovereign sunry at the gate of our life. And lets nothing in that he doesn't give permission to. And that he cannot turn into glory, our good, and gain in his kingdom. That's why in Romans 8.28, it says, all things, all things work together for good. God guarantees it. We know about Job's trouble. Hallelujah. Yes, that's the kind of trouble that the devil sneaks in our life also. Not necessarily physical all the time. Hallelujah. God desires that we worship him. Not because of the stuff we have or the stuff we get. The stuff should be coming behind us. Follow the master. Follow the shepherd. Stuff is behind. Don't even look back like the wife of Lot. Let the stuff be there. You will be replenished as long as you are with the shepherd. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why at the end in verse th chapter 13 verse uh, 15, Job says, even though he slays me, even though he slays me, yet I will hope in him. Ah, what a success story. Hallelujah. Can you see the smile on the face of God when he heard this? Hallelujah. Even though he even though he slays me, Yet I will hope in him. And finally, there's a beautiful statement in the verse that we read in the beginning. Hallelujah. Be faithful. Be faithful to the very end. This, this is one thing that the Lord is asking the church to do today. Be faithful. Hang in there. Don't bail out. Stay the course. In fact, he says, be faithful till the very end. When the church in Smyrna received this letter from Apostle John, they didn't know that very soon, one of their own, Bishop Polycarp, he was the leader of the church in Smyrna. He'll be martyred. Hallelujah. He became a martyr for the cause of Christ. The Jews who resisted the message of the cross, of the true Messiah, pressured the Roman government. I want you to listen to this. If you're not familiar with this story, I'm going to finish here. The Jews who resisted the 
the, the message of the gospel. They persuaded the Roman government to arrest Polycarp. Do you know how old Polycarp was? He was 86 old. 86 years. The army captain came and knocked on the door where Polycarp was hiding. The captain saw an unnatural kind of radiance on the face of this old man. And he said, Sir, just please say Caesar is Lord. You don't need to mean it. Just say so hard for me to arrest you. And it's so hard for us to do what we are asking. But you have to know something. Christians in the first century refused to say Caesar is Lord. You know why? They have said to themselves, their slogan was Curios Christos. Christ alone is Lord. When that is their life motto, it was not easy for them to say Curios Cicero. They would not do that. They would rather die than say, Curios Cicero, Caesar is Lord. Polycarp said in reply, He has been my God now for 86 long years, and He has never betrayed me. How can I betray my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? They arrested him, dragged him on a horse, tied him to a, a pole, a stake, and set him on fire. And he was, as he was dying, he was in so much pain. And one of the soldiers that stood by Pulled his dagger, pulled his sword, beheaded him. 86 years. They would not deny us, Jesus. Stay the course. Be faithful till the very end. Last year in Libya, on a very deserted beach, probably some of you read, saw that. 23. Coptic Christians, some of them teenagers, were asked to kneel down, heads covered, and said, disown Jesus. They were Coptics. They were not Pentecostal. Young kids, 14, 15, 16 years. They said, no. Not only that, they started singing. Isios, curios. Isios, curios. In Aramaic, they started saying, Isios, curios, as they were beheaded by their, 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 their soldiers. Hallelujah. You think we have it easy, right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. At the end of verse 10, Jesus says, if you are faithful unto me.
Corinthians, when you get home, I'll give you the crown of life. I'm going to finish here. It is the reminder to all of us. This world is not our friend. We don't belong to here. This short life in this world is nasty and brutal to, for the children of God. But there is a day coming when Jesus himself will wipe the tears of No more dying there. No more torture there. No more pain there. Our Lord will live with us and we'll live with him forever. We will be his people. He'll be our God. We will have no trouble there. We will have no trials there. That is the hope. If you ever once forget that you are destined for that kind of a life in eternity, you have a chance to bail out in this. You might bail out when Satan comes near you. Always, always have your eyes focused on eternity. There is solid things beyond this life. There is more important things Beyond the river. Hallelujah. Jesus knows our trouble. Jesus knows our poverty. Jesus knows our enemy. Jesus tells us, do not fear. Jesus says, be faithful till the very end. I will crown you.